In Isaiah 40 verse 1, God says, Comfort, O comfort my people. Now in context, that was a word that was for Jerusalem, but the word of comfort is for us even today when we understand the text. This is When We Understand the Text, a daily Bible commentary to help encourage your time in the Word. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we feature New Testament study, an Old Testament book on Thursday, and our Q&A on Friday. Now here's your teacher, Pastor Gabe. Thank you, Becky, and greetings, everyone. As we come back into our study of the book of Isaiah, we're now into part two of the book. As I had said in our introduction to Isaiah, this book can be separated into two parts. You have chapters 1 through 39 and then chapters 40 to 66. And I'll talk about an outline of this second part of the book here in just a moment in this section that we're jumping into. But first, let's begin with the text. I'm going to read from verse 1 through verse 11 out of the Legacy Standard Bible. Hear the word of the Lord. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak to the heart of Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has been fulfilled, that her iniquity has been removed, that she is received from the hand of Yahweh double for all her sins. A voice is calling. Prepare the way for Yahweh in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of Yahweh will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. A voice says, call out. Then he answered, what shall I call out? All flesh is grass and all its loving kindness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of Yahweh blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Raise up your voice powerfully, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Raise it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, Lord Yahweh will come with strength, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will shepherd his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. And we'll stop right there for now. The chapter goes through verse 31, and in fact it's verse 31 that you probably know best from Isaiah chapter 40. Yet those who hope in Yahweh will gain new power, or as you've probably heard it said, will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. You know that verse? That's the very end of chapter 40. And this chapter serves as kind of an introduction to the rest of the book. Like I said, we're broken into two parts here. 
The first part, chapters 1 through 39, were really about the Assyrians, what was going on in the Assyrian occupation of the world at that time. But as we've read at the end of part 1 of Isaiah, the Assyrians have been defeated. The king has even been struck down by his own sons. The Lord God himself intervened, and by his own hand and his own sword, he had struck down 185,000 Assyrians overnight. The Lord intervening to protect his people, to protect Judah from the plague that was the Assyrians. So that Assyrian occupation here, at least as, uh, as far as part one of Isaiah goes, that's come to an end. And then what we're reading about here in chapter 40 is even the promises that God has for the Jews after they've been exiled to Babylon. Now, that's not yet happened at the time of Isaiah, at the time that Isaiah is writing this, but he is looking toward the future. That punishment for the Jews is still going to come. We read that at the end of chapter 29, or, or sorry, 39, where God said because of Hezekiah's hubris, that his people, even his own sons, would not have the chance to occupy the throne. They would be exiled and be under, under the captivity of the very people that Hezekiah was gloating in front of, and that being the Babylonians. Babylon would come in and they would take the Jews. They would seize Jerusalem. And so what we're reading about here in Isaiah 40 is what God is going to do with the Jews after that exile after they've been exiled to the Babylonians and then even to the Medes and the Persians. Hence why you have this statement at the very beginning, comfort my people. She is received from the hand of Yahweh double for all her sins. She was exiled to Babylon and then exiled to Persia. And then it's out of Persia that she will come back into the land that God had promised to the descendants of Abraham and have that opportunity to rebuild, reoccupy and worship God again in the land of their inheritance. So we're going to read about that restoration in chapters 40 to 66. But this section is broken up like this. Here in this part that we're going to read, and we're going to spend several weeks here in chapters 40 to 48, this is where God puts the false gods on trial. And we're going to see that in this first portion of part two. Chapters 40 to 46 the one true God versus the false gods. And then in the next part, chapters 49 to 57, God is going to bring salvation, but through suffering. And then in chapters 58 to 66, we see a future glory, the glorious kingdom of God that is going to come, the new Zion, as it might be called. Now, you'll find different outlines for this section. Some will break up uh, uh, part two at chapter 55. And I think it's the ESV, in fact. If you read the English Standard Version and you have the outline, in the study Bible, you'll have that outline at the beginning of the book. And I think it only breaks up uh, chapters 40 to 66 into two parts, and that break is at chapter 55. Some will do that, but I think this outline is the most correct. Chapter 40 to 48 is very clearly God putting the, the false gods on trial. And you'll even see said here in these in these three sections, there really has to be three parts here because you'll see said in these three sections, there is no peace for the wicked in chapter 48, 22. There is no peace says Yahweh for the wicked chapter 57 verse 21. There is no peace says my God for the wicked. And then in chapter 66, it's not said exactly like that, but it comes up again. 
They shall go out and look for the bodies of men who have rebelled against me. For their worms shall not die, the fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an an abhorrence to all flesh. So once again, there is no peace for the wicked. And that's a passage that Jesus quotes. A lot of what you'll read here in part two of Isaiah, you've surely heard quoted in the New Testament, even in Revelation. We read a section right here in our opening reading that we've heard in Matthew's gospel. Prepare the way of Yahweh in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God, And what is that a prophecy about? That's the coming of Christ in his first advent, but also a prophecy concerning John the Baptist, who would be the voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for Yahweh in the wilderness. Now, this first part that we've read here that we opened up with verses one through 11, this is an introduction to the rest of part two. And you have, first of all, the voice of redemption in verses one and two, speak to the heart of Israel comfort my people. And then you have a voice of preparation. Verse three, prepare the way for Yahweh in the wilderness. Then there is a voice of perpetuation, a declaration that God's word is permanent and what he says will stand forever. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. That's verses four through eight. And then at last you have verses nine through 11. And here is a declaration of the gospel. Behold our God in verses nine through 11. So let's look at this. We'll see how far we get in chapter 40. We may not get to that very famous passage, which is verse 31, may not get there today, but we'll uh, we'll try to finish up chapter 40 next week. So once again, we begin with these words, comfort, oh, comfort my people. And remember, this is Isaiah who's writing this. Some will say that there's so much difference between chapters one through 39 and then chapters 40 to 66 that it must be someone who is writing later. There, This is a common view of the book of Isaiah that uh, chapters 40 to, to 66 are deuteronomical. So it's something that came later. It's like Isaiah part two, and it was probably one of his understudies that wrote it at a later time. Or like in a, in a prophetic line of Isaiah after the Babylonian exile or during the exile, whichever it would be, that part two of Isaiah was written. But that's really not the case. This is attributed to Isaiah. It is the prophet who has written all of this book. And the things that he is prophesying about are things that have yet to come, of course, because he's a prophet. So the word of God is coming to Isaiah to speak these things into the heart of the people that they may remember them when the day of exile comes and they will continue to hold fast to the promises of God that have been given to them. And that's that is still a message that should resonate with us as Christians today, for it is said in Romans 15.4, I believe I quoted this passage earlier in the week when we were in Matthew. In Romans 15.4, it says, Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So what was written in former days was written for us, that we may come back to these things, see that God is faithful to his promises, and that the word of God endures forever so that we may have hope even in our present day. These scriptures also serve as a warning to us that we would not repeat the same mistakes that the Jews made when they rebelled against God and worshiped idols. Paul talks about this also, 1 Corinthians 10, 1. 
I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That's in reference to the Israelites who worshiped the golden calf while Moses was up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, receiving the law. So may this serve as a warning to us, because again, as we're going to read here in part one of part two, (laughs) in chapters 40 to 48, as God puts the gods on trial. Now, it's not as if God is speaking to mute, empty things, for there is uh, there are there are demonic presences at work behind those idols. So though a person would fashion something that is made in their own image and worship that, and and that's going to be described here in this section, yet there is uh, a demonic deception behind that that drives a person to do such a thing. So when God puts the gods on trial, he's even calling out to those satanic forces that are at work in the world, deceiving people to go after those things that are not God. And so may that serve as warnings to us that we might not go after evil just as our forefathers did, but that we would worship the true God and we would walk in his righteousness. Amen. Now, that's just my introduction. I'm more than halfway through the lesson today. So let's look at these 11 verses here with, again, the Lord saying, comfort, oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak to the heart of Jerusalem. And remember, the church is even the new Jerusalem, as talked about in Galatians and in Revelation. So as God says these things in a certain context to the Jews, yet they would be spoken to us as well and relevant to us even in our present time. Call out to her that her warfare has been fulfilled, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received from the hand of Yahweh double for all her sins. And my friends, may you know that by faith in God, your sins are forgiven. And and whatever punishment we've had to receive, whatever consequences we've had to face because of our sin, the warfare has been fulfilled and our iniquity removed by faith in Jesus. Even if as a Christian, you've fallen into gross sin, mourn over that and repent. For as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, there is a godly grief that leads to repentance, a worldly grief that leads to death. If this is a godly grief, mourn before the Lord, ask for his forgiveness, and he will forgive you. 1 John 1, 9. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here, prophetically, what is now being proclaimed to Jerusalem in verses 3 through 8, a voice is calling, Prepare the way for Yahweh in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Now, how this might apply to us is understanding that in 
Christ, even the highest places are made low and the lowest places are lifted up, that we may walk the good walk of faith. Paul said in Romans 8, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So even those low valleys that we go through might be lifted up to the praise of his glorious grace. This is another opportunity for you to rejoice in God, though the way may be hard. It is Christ who lifts us through that and will deliver us into a good and plentiful land. Verse 5, then the glory of Yahweh will be revealed. All flesh will see it together, for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. Again, what we're reading about here is the promise of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, the righteous one who will come through the line of Judah and fulfill every promise of God. A voice says, call out. And then he answered, what shall I call out? And here what we read in the rest of verse six, all flesh is grass and all its loving kindness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades When the breath of Yahweh blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And you surely hear that repeated in the New Testament. In fact, we have it in 1 Peter chapter 1. Purify your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Peter says. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So the gospel that you have heard and you have come to believe will never fail. Your faith in the gospel has brought you from darkness into light. It has brought you from a a guilty sinner into a justified saint. You have been transformed from being the object of God's wrath to a child of his mercy and grace, a fellow heir with Christ of his eternal kingdom. And all of this through the power of the gospel. And so when we read the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever, there is hope in that. For the sinner, there is terror in that. For we also read in God's word that he will judge the wicked and he will fulfill that promise also. So do not continue in sin, but turn from your sin to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Verses 9 through 11, as we finish this up. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Raise up your voice powerfully, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Raise it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Now, of course, there is a context here that applies specifically to the Jews, specifically to Jerusalem. But there is an application here for us as well. Zion is the place where God dwells. Where does God dwell now? He dwells with his people, in the hearts of his people, the Holy Spirit who lives in the heart of every saint, every follower of Jesus, who is his church, who is Jerusalem. Like I had said earlier, we are the new Jerusalem that are being purified, sanctified, and prepared 
for that day when Christ will return. We are the bearer of good news. The gospel has been given to us that we may go out with it to the world. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that the church is the house of the living God. It is the household of God, which is a pillar and buttress of the truth. The gospel has been given to us, and it is by our faith in the gospel that we have we've been called out from the world. But as bearers of the gospel, we must now go back into the world, declaring the good news so that there are others who will turn from their sin to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. So here, Jerusalem is being called the bearer of good news. Raise it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, behold, your God. Behold, Lord Yahweh will come with strength, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. That's something that Christ repeats at the end of the Bible in Revelation 22, that his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will give to each person according to their works. So may our works be carried out in God. May we demonstrate the righteousness that we have been clothed in as followers of Jesus Christ. Verse 11, like a shepherd, he will shepherd his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs. Oh, how beautiful a picture that is. He will carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. This is the wonderful shepherd that we follow, who shepherds his sheep, who will lead us into a good land. Our Lord Jesus Christ, so turn to Jesus and live. Be comforted by the words of Christ. And so that those who hope in Yahweh, this is a verse, God willing, we'll get to next week, verse 31. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. We will mount up with wings like eagles. We'll run and not grow weary. We will walk and not become faint. And that is that verse is often taken as like a picture of what heaven will be like. That's a description for us now. That we who have hoped in God have renewed strength. Maybe not physical strength in your body, but spiritually, we are renewed. And we run, we walk the walk of faith without getting weary. We've been born again. And so being born again, there's a new youthfulness, a vitality about us that as we walk faith, we don't become weary. We don't grow tired. We are zealous for Christ and for his gospel. As Paul said to the Galatians in Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary and doing good for in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Let's finish there. We'll come back to Isaiah 40 next week. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what we have read here concerning your promises. You gave good news to your people in the past. Good news has been delivered to us today that we may therefore go out with that good news to others so that those who are part of this world that is coming into judgment will hear the good news of Jesus Christ. They will turn from their sin and the works of darkness that will perish with the rest of this world. And they being made citizens of the kingdom of God will walk in light as he is in the light and will have for their hope 
the promise of Christ and his kingdom. May we continue to walk in these things to this day, putting aside sin and walking in righteousness. Give us the strength to do so and the desire, the zealousness for Christ our King. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been When We Understand the Text with Pastor Gabriel Hughes. For all of our podcasts, episodes, videos, books, and more, visit our website at www.utt.com. If you'd like to submit a question to this broadcast or just send us a comment, email whenweunderstandthetext at gmail.com and let your friends know about our ministry. Join us again tomorrow as we grow together in the study of God's Word, When We Understand the Text.